Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. As I start my sermon today, I'm going to say a portion of a name, and I would like for you, out loud if you wish, to fill in the rest of the title. Are you ready? Alexander the... Herod the... Great. Napoleon the... Great. Clifford the... Big Red Dog. That's right. I just want to be sure you're paying attention this morning. That wasn't very hard, but let's go back to the great part. At least 140 people in history have been graced with the title, The Great. You and I know all too well, though, that many of them weren't so great after all. In fact, most of them, like Herod, for example, should really have been called the not-so-great. If that's true, then, what do we really mean by the word great? To be unique? To be one of a kind? To be better than others? Let's think about that as today we hear about someone with the name John the Baptist. It turns out, though, that he was called great by none other than Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. That's a pretty impressive endorsement, don't you think? So then, what made John so great? After all, he lived a relatively short life. He had a relatively short ministry. He got sent to prison. He was executed by worldly standards. That's not so great. John's life, though, counted. And what John did with what God gave him mattered. By heavenly standards, he was indeed great. The man we call John the Baptist was born in the hill country of Judah just a few months before Jesus was born. We know from Scripture that John's mother, Elizabeth, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were cousins. So John and Jesus would have been second cousins. With that in mind, it's very likely that John and Jesus knew each other from a young age when the extended family would gather together for the high holy days. We can assume that they probably hung out together as boys. I love that image. John's father was named Zechariah. He was a priest in the temple, so John, like me, was a PK, a preacher's kid. Per tradition, John would have been raised to be a priest as well. At that time, priests began their education when they were 20 years old, and it took 10 years, 10 years of education. So when John was 30, he would have been well-prepared to begin his formal adult ministry as a priest in the temple, but he didn't. Not at all. Possibly to the disappointment of his parents. Instead, Scripture tells us that John took off. John went into the wilderness on his own. Now, we've heard the readings about John in the wilderness. We know he went off the grid, as they say, wearing that leather belt, eating those locusts and honey. But then, in our gospel lesson today, John reemerges. John reemerges into the so-called proper society of first-century Palestine. Luke tells us that John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people noticed. People noticed this man. Folks have been waiting a long time for some kind of a message, some kind of a prophecy, 
some kind of a Messiah. And then they saw this man, and they heard his words, and they wondered if he was the one. Again, they've been waiting a long time for some kind of message from God. You know, we heard from the prophet Malachi this morning. The book of Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. We might think that we can just flip the page and boom, here we are. But in fact, 400 years have passed between Malachi's prophecy and the start of our New Testament. 400 years of radio silence between God and God's people. And then, John. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, the law and the prophets were in effect until John came. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed. So John stands as the historic bridge between the old and the new. And that's a big deal. John's arrival was so important to Luke that he went out of his way to offer cultural context so the readers could understand exactly where John fit in history. That's why he lists the names of all those worldly leaders we heard at the beginning of the gospel. In doing so, Luke firmly places John in the scene, internationally, nationally, locally, and yes, spiritually. John was very clear that his mission was to set the stage for the arrival of Jesus, to prepare himself and others for the Messiah, the King of Kings. I read this week that thousands of years ago, when Eastern kings wanted to tour their dominions, they would send one courier ahead. The work of that courier was to announce the coming of the king and to make sure that people fixed their roads in advance of his arrival. So then, what do we hear John say? Well, I was at a Bible study on Wednesday evening, and I heard today's gospel reading from a version known as the message. Listen to this version. Prepare God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. Every ditch will be filled in, every bump smoothed out, the detours straightened out, and the ruts paved over. Everyone will be there to see the parade of God's salvation. That version sounds less like scripture and more like a strategic plan from the Department of Transportation. But it sure does underscore this notion of the courier as the advanced person for the king. My friends, John the Baptist was the most amazing of couriers, announcing the very coming of our king and calling on God's people to prepare the way. Only, here's the thing, he wasn't talking about I-40 and asphalt, the roads under our feet and now our tires. John was talking about the roadways of our hearts and our minds. Turns out that John didn't particularly tell people what they wanted to hear. He certainly didn't pull punches with his commentary. Instead, he called people out. He called them out for straying from their relationships with God, for being distracted, for their poor spiritual behavior. And he spoke very clearly again and again and again of the idea of repentance, turning back, turning back towards God. People didn't flock to John because he made them feel good about themselves. They came because of the truth of his word and the strength of his conviction. Actually, that truth and conviction would be what got him in trouble, what landed him in prison as he publicly reprimanded Herod for marrying his brother Philip's wife. And her desire for revenge would be what got John the Baptist 
executed after only a few years of his life, a few years of his ministry. So, some 2,000 years later, we gather this morning here in the season of Advent, and we too can be challenged by the words of John the Baptist, who calls on us to turn our hearts, to turn our minds, to turn our actions towards God, to make our rough edges smooth. In other words, to repent. My friends, your lives count. And what you do with what God gave you matters. Can you imagine if every person here fully lived into their role as a courier for Christ our Lord? And importantly, what if just one other person, one other person was moved by your truth, by the truth of your word, or the strength of your conviction? What if one person turned towards Christ? If you ask me, that would be something great. Amen.